But good morning. Wow, that was good. Can you believe Thanksgiving's over? Yes? I, I can't. I don't know quite where it went. And now we're at the, the first Sunday of Advent. And uh, this morning I, I'm blessed to be able to, to share a message uh, for what it means to be a blessing to others by eating together. No surprise that I was given that message. <laughs> I will confess, I got on the scale this morning and it said one at a time, please. <laughs> so uh, you can see what I have to work on. But uh, seriously, um, there's something about eating together as a family, eating together as friends, but what about eating together with someone you don't know? Have you, do you do that ever? So um, one of the things we're gonna talk about is what it's like to eat with someone we don't know. And as Pastor Trent shared last week, it's how can we be a blessing to others three times in the week by blessing them? And I, I went on the uh, community website because uh, there is a change. Uh, there are no names noted of those that submit what they've done by being a blessing to others. And I know there was some discomfort, and probably rightly so, because we don't want it to be about us. And well, needless to say, Chris did a lot more than I did. And no, not, not really. You can't keep up with me. <laughs> but they're anonymous. And I want to share with you some of those that, have, that were posted. They're, they're beautiful. They're about what it means for a community church to be uh, an outreach in our community with those around us. One of them was uh, uh, a lady paid for a lunch. She happened to see a mother who was frazzled with her two children. Can you mothers understand that? What it's like to be out for lunch and be frazzled by your children. This person looked over and saw that and paid for their lunch. Wasn't that a sweet thing to do? Or how about someone else who made baked goods, banana bread and peach cobbler, which I shouldn't even bring up, or cinnamon rolls for a fundraiser that they made? Or what about a young couple who was sitting at Subway and this individual looked over and saw how, how precious they were together. They were talking together and, and uh, the feeling was they probably didn't have a lot when it comes to financial means. And this person, before they left Subway, went and bought a gift card at the Subway and went over and placed it on the table and said, I want to bless you. So, pretty neat, don't you think? Or how about this one? An individual had someone come over and actually had tree stumps grown in his yard, in his property. And he knew that his neighbor had about six stumps in his property, so he sent the equipment over there and had it done for them. I'm going to call that guy because I've got a couple stumps that I need to. <laughs> but what, what, what a blessing to others, don't you think? This is just a handful of many that are there. And so as, as you bless someone else, make sure you make a note of that because our goal is 500. Um, different events. I think that's too small. I think Trent mentioned that too. I think we should be at least a thousand. But the point is, it's how we're called to live out. 
And you know, the world looks at us as Christians oftentimes as looking at what we don't do or can't do. I remember talking with somebody who shared with me one of the most frustrating things they had as a child growing up was she really disliked and had a, dis a disdain for Sundays. Because Sunday, she had to wear a dress all day. You couldn't go swimming on Sunday. Couldn't ride your bike on Sunday. Couldn't even go play with your friends on Sunday. In fact, uh, for those of us who remember the Christian Reform Conference grounds, you couldn't go swimming on Sunday. So some of us went down to Kirk Park. <laughs> but the point is, isn't it oftentimes that People look at Christians as what they can't do. And I, I want to say to us, as Christians, people should look, at, look to us as what we can do. And I believe what we're called to do is to baffle those around us. We're called to live out the gospel in a way that the, makes them wonder, I don't know what it is about you, but I'd like to know more. Why is it you have the, the attitude you have? Why is it you have the heart you have? So, yeah, the list goes on. We can talk about this, but today it's about eating together. And there's something beautiful about that as we just came off of Thanksgiving. I will say we ate with those that were some family, but we also invited uh, a few uh, family that had experienced and went through a tragic divorce. We invited their two children and the mother and they came and dined with us. They would not have had a Thanksgiving. It was, I would say, a blessed time we had together. And um, she did. I'm not a stovetop fan, stuffing, but she made a stovetop recipe at home that I actually liked. I'm a snob when it comes to food. I like my grandmother's dressing. But we had a beautiful time together, and they stayed pretty much the whole afternoon, which was, uh, which was fun. We had a good time together. So this morning, I want to look at what does it look like as we worship a God and we think of him, and I, wanna ca I call this the theology of hospitality. Uh, you see, God is, that's one of the attributes that describes God, hospitality. In fact, the overarching theme of God's hospitality is seen in the dance of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. How they work together, how they complement one another, how they serve one another. How the Father sent his Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You see, that was part of that dance of the Trinity. Jesus came here to redeem us out of obedience to the Father. Jesus breathed out the Holy Spirit to the disciples that resurrection Sunday evening. You see, the Trinity was all working together. And this morning, I want us to think about that. What does it mean as we consider the theology of God in hospitality? And I want to share with you what God, why this is so important to the nature of God. I want to share with you what God says when you don't live that way. And the best example that I think of in the scripture is recorded in the, the account in Genesis 19 of Sodom. 
Now, some of us, and I'd say probably many of us think traditionally, what Sodom was and what it represented was a lives of homosexuality. That is not what the sin of Sodom was. So if I'm, if I'm busting your bubble here, uh, it needs to be uh, busted. It needs to be poked a little bit. The sin of Sodom was revealed actually in Ezekiel 16, verse 49. And the people of Sodom were filled with greed, they were arrogant, they were overfed, and they were unconcerned about the, the needs of the poor and the needy. See, it's totally opposite of God's desire and his design for us. Totally different than how God's hospitality is. And so what happened, and needless to say, <clears throat> that city was destroyed. That's how significant hospitality is to the eyes of God. But I invite you to enter a story this morning that maybe you think you know really well, and you probably do. But maybe, just maybe, there's something you may hear about this story for the first time. And that's all about the acceptance of a sinner precedes a call to obedience. Acceptance of a sinner precedes the call to obedience. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, may your word be my rule and your spirit my teacher and the glory of Christ, my ultimate concern. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The account comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Then Jesus entered Jericho as he was passing through. And there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead. He ran ahead and climbed a, you know it kids, he climbed up into a sycamore tree. It's actually noted as a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming his way. And when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and greeted and welcomed him gladly. Then all the people there, now you can only imagine, Jesus came into Jericho. He didn't receive a key by the mayor to the emerald city of Jericho. He was greeted actually by one of the greatest sinners of all a chief tax collector. So now Jesus is there, and if you notice, all the people, not some of the people, all of the people began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But now, Zacchaeus stood up and he said, look, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of all that I have to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Then Jesus said, today salvation has come into this house. This man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost.
So I want us to look at this account in Luke, chapter 19, 1 through 10. And there's something significant about this. First of all, it's the only gospel that notes this account. None of the other gospels talk about this encounter with Zacchaeus. The other that's very important that you probably don't even think about is most of Jesus' encounters with people do not acknowledge a name. Many of them like the rich young ruler. We don't know what the rich young ruler's name was. But here, his name is noted, Zacchaeus. Now there's something else you should know about that name and the Hebrew people would know about it. Is Zacchaeus means innocent and pure. Now think about it. Do you think any of the Jewish people thought Zacchaeus was innocent and pure? In some ways, I'll say it was like the Hebrew people, if they would be in a, in a boxing ring with Zacchaeus, this would have been the first jab. Well, the next one was, he's a chief tax collector. Luke notes, he's not just a tax collector. He's not just like Matthew. He's a chief tax collector. So he probably has other tax collectors that report to him. He's probably the local district manager for the tax collectors. So think about it. Tax collectors in that time were Hebrew folks that were hired by Rome to collect taxes to Rome, the very empire that holds the Jewish people hostage. Now, would you think you'd like him? And then not only did he collect taxes for Rome, he took some off the top, a little extra for himself, which is noted in the next word, which says he was wealthy. No surprise. That probably would have been the knockout punch if he were in a boxing ring with another Jew. The fact is, in this account, it notes his name, the fact that he, what he did, and that he was wealthy. Would you want to show hospitality to someone like that? Can you think of someone like that? Think of some, one of the most unlovable people that you could think of. Let your mind go a little bit. Do a Google search. You'll find somebody. Okay, hit stop now. I don't want you to keep Google searching. But the fact is, you can probably think of someone that is least lovable. Maybe it's a criminal. Maybe it's someone you think of politically might be least lovable. And I won't mention any names. But the fact is, it's hard to hold, have hospitality to someone like that, that you really despise. But there's something about what happened here. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. And Jesus didn't say anything to him. All those people were muttering. Jesus didn't say, now Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house today if you clean yourself up. I want you to repent, confess your sin, and then, uh, then I'll come over and I'll sit with you. I'll eat with you, I'll dine with you and all your other sinner friends. Jesus never said a word. And they probably didn't notice this ever in this gospel account. That Jesus never said anything to Zacchaeus until after Zacchaeus shared, I will give half of all that I have to the poor. 
And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. See, what was happening here is Jesus' acceptance of Zacchaeus brought him to a place of obedience. Did you catch that? It was Jesus' acceptance of Zacchaeus right where he was that brought Zacchaeus to a place of obedience. You see, Jesus dined with sinners, but he never sinned. Jesus loved. He received people. And in that culture, when you eat with people, even in our culture today, when you dine with someone, you accept them. You may not like everything about them. Face it, Thanksgiving might have been a little tough for some of us. You know, don't shake your heads right now that I know who it is. Um, but, th but it was, and it is. Sometimes it gets to be a rather trying time when you bring family together, doesn't it? But the fact is, there's something about sitting around a table, eating together, loving one another, accepting one another. So Jesus didn't ask him to change his ways. He accepted this plump, short man, <laughs> I think he was plump, employed by an empire that held God's people hostage. Jesus, as I said, came into Jericho as he was passing through. Where was Jesus passing through to? He entered Jericho passing through. Do you know where he was going? He had just healed a blind man outside of the city gates. The people were probably following him into Jericho. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, where he'd be arrested, beaten, persecuted, tortured, and killed. He knew that. But he had time. He had time. He took the time as he traveled into Jericho. He took the time to meet with a sinner, a chief tax collector. Fact is, what I believe we're shown here is the importance we have for people to accept them where they are and then live out the gospel with and through yourself with them. Help them to see who Jesus is in you. Instead of being judgmental, be accepting. That's, I believe, what we're called to see in this account that Jesus was accepting, but he didn't leave. As we know, he never leaves you where you are after he touches you. Whether it was the leper, whether it was the woman caught, caught in adultery, no one left the same way. That's the way Jesus was in his ministry, accepting others, accepting sinners. And as I reflected on it, I realized I am Zacchaeus. I am Zacchaeus. In some ways, I've, I've had the, I have the same problem. I too can be greedy. I too can be envious. I too want to, would rather worship myself than worship the one who saved me. But Jesus sees us right where we are. I want to give you the, uh, an example of someone where this was practiced. Her name was Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. Maybe some of you have heard of her name. She's a well-known writer, speaker, homemaker. She was a former tenured professor of English at Syracuse University in New York. She was in a same-sex relationship with another woman. They were an activist in many ways. But a 
husband and his wife took her in. They met together. And they would meet together each week. And they would eat together. And they would talk together. See, Rosaria was well versed and had a great understanding of much of Scripture. She had studied much when it comes to theology. But she never really saw where she was. Until over time, this husband and his wife, who showed her love, they accepted her. And they entered into conversations with her. Started to talk with her about Jesus, about life, about what it means to reflect Christ and live a life that reflects him. What happened is her eyes were opened and they were opened reading the scriptures again for the first time. And she came to acknowledge that she was not living a life that reflected who she should be and who she was in Christ. She committed her life to Christ. Things changed. It was amazing. You see, this husband and his wife, he was a Presbyterian church in America pastor. And his wife supported them as well in terms of this hospitality and showing this. They loved Rosaria. Rosaria now has been published. She speaks, as I noted. One of her latest books is entitled, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And so what she shares in this book are different stories of how her and her husband and her family, because she's now married and has children, and her husband happens to be a pastor. <laughs> yeah, wow. They open their house, they accept others, they eat together, they share the gospel with others. And so their ministry, I will say, really started when she realized who she was and who she was in Christ. It's quite a story, wouldn't you say? I met her a couple years ago. I thought I was pretty intelligent when it came to theological things. She's smarter than I am, way back, way more. But it's not about that, it's about a heart. And we're called to baffle others with hospitality. The challenge this week and in the coming weeks is will you look for opportunities maybe to eat with someone else? You may want to start with this. If you don't eat as a family, you may want to start that first. Take time to eat together, to understand, to listen to one another, to know what's happening in the lives of your children and parents and spouses for those of you with a family. Take time to eat together. Take time to eat with someone maybe you know here, or maybe it's someone you know and you, whether you eat at V's or community restaurant or Frank's or public or, I don't know, there's a lot of restaurants around. But take time, eat with someone, get to know them, get to know their story, their life. But then also look for an opportunity to eat with someone you don't know. And that may not even be a believer. That's actually okay. And maybe it's when you're in quality car wash and you go inside and you're getting a donut and coffee. Look for someone at a table and maybe ask, can I sit down and sit with you? Nick can tell you, um, Vicki, I've done that before at quality. Or maybe it's at a coffee shop. Maybe it's at Big B. 
Or maybe it's what happened, I had happened to me uh, a few weeks ago. I was at Butterworth Hospital and it was around noontime and I was, uh, thought I'll get a bite to eat. And, and I, I carried my tray and as I looked out into the, the dining hall area there, I thought, you know what, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down with somebody I don't know. I'm gonna, I think that'll be okay. Well, I did. I sat down with a young man who was in scrubs, and he, was, uh, he works for a medical supplier in surgery, and he's in training. And we got to talking. He lives in Otsego. We had a great visit together. And what I found, and he said, what do you do? And I said, well, this is what I do. And he goes, oh, I said, how about you? Are you a believer? And he said, I am. Well, we had the most beautiful interaction. And I want to tell you, before we left each other, I said, how can I pray for you? And we prayed together. Someone I didn't know. There's a lot of people like that. And I believe one of the biggest issues we have in our culture, in our life, is we are so hurried we're so busy. You see, there's another part of this story that maybe you never thought of. Jesus goes about two and a half, three miles an hour. He's walking. He's walking wherever he goes. Maybe we're moving too fast in this life. Maybe it's time to slow down and look for the opportunities around us to be aware, to set our Sensory perception to look and say, God, just, just lead me to someone. Help me to see the eyes of someone who may be hurting. Believe me, I had someone this morning tell me, you can tell, can't you, when someone's... I said, yes, I can tell. Usually when someone's not quite right. The fact is, though, you have to be aware of that. And you have to look for it. You have to be sensitive. That comes through the, the Holy Spirit working and convicting your heart. That, my friends, is the dance of the Trinity. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. You see, Jesus didn't have to say anything other than, I accept you and I'm coming to your house today. What happened is the Holy Spirit was convicting the heart of Zacchaeus. What happened there was the dance of the Trinity. You see, what happened is a chord was struck. Could you hear it? A chord was struck in his heart, and his heart changed, all because of acceptance preceding obedience. Matthew writes these words, Jesus, when he said, for I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous man said to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did you see us sick or in, we were in sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, this morning, Jesus calls you out by name. 
he invites you, Bob, to be a guest at his table. Greg, he invites you. Sherry, he invites you to be a guest at his table. Don and Doug, he invites you to be guests at his table. He invites us right where we are and says, I want you to dine with me. I want you to be with me. That, my friends, is what grace is all about. It's time we surprise others around us, how we can baffle them. And one of the best ways is to eat with them, to dine with them. And that's why we come to the table today. We dine together, and if you could, you know, I could say you could post this on the app, that this could be your first dining experience. But the reality is, it's Jesus who calls us, and he calls us by name. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So will you stand with me and receive God's parting blessing? Yesterday, the pastoral staff, we were all together at the celebration service of Denny Bull, who passed away. It's quite a story. Denny uh, really shared quite a life of what it means to, to serve his family and others. Most of their children were adopted, and it was a beautiful picture as we heard from their children. And uh, one of the son-in-law really wasn't a son-in-law, he was a son. And they shared what Denny meant to them. And I couldn't help but think yesterday of what that meant for us today. What does it mean to live out? And he lived out a life that was a, a beautiful life reflecting Christ. So my friends, may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, that he may work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and honor and dominion, both now and forevermore. Amen.